Pam Ochoa. Today, we're just going to dive right in. We're going to let our audience ask a question. And that is exactly what Alicia has done. Alicia has been a supporter for a very long time. Thank you very much. And she actually posted this mm-hmm. today, uh, which is awesome. So, uh, Super excited to dive into this question. I think it's a good one. I think a lot of people on the Patreon will find this question valuable. If you want to add your two cents, go to the post on our Patreon page. I said, tis the season for questions. And so if you want to give Alicia your perspective, your thoughts, go ahead, go to that post jump into the conversation. Nalissa also asked a wonderful question. We're going to get to that one on another episode. So Nalissa, if you're listening to this, don't feel down. Your question is coming up. And her question reads, I'm really struggling with reading instruction. I teach fifth grade and we have longer blocks. So they get 15 to 20 minutes each day to read. We also have to do read aloud every day, which has become a waste of time. I find it easy to fit my fictional reading standards in with my read aloud, but I struggle with finding time to hit the informational standards. How do you teach your reading standards and the writing standards by only doing one lesson a day? Currently, I try and do two lessons, but it ends up cutting into their reading or writing time. I'd like to do one lesson a day, but don't know how to merge reading and writing into one lesson. All right. I feel like this is a pretty common issue uh, for educators um, trying to fit it all in. You know, it's one of those things to where I know in our neck of the woods, Ochoa, people would often forget that we were really teaching two contents. Um, oh, yeah. We we have to face that all the time because they want us to fit all this other extra stuff in there because they think we have two different. I mean, that we're teaching uh, one class. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's reading and writing. I don't think they understand it. That's right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And it's, I mean, it's the same thing for, uh, uh, you know, my high school teachers, you know, they, they do have block schedules, but they're still teaching reading and writing. And so it's the constant debate of how do you fit it all in? There's different standards for each. How do you see growth in each? Do you split it into two lessons? Do you do one lesson? Do you go off and on? And so I feel like this is a nice little healthy conversation. This is something you've interacted with quite a bit. So let's let's start kind of before we get to almost solving the problem. Why do you think this problem exists? Like, why is it why is it so difficult to conceptualize in a classroom setting, teaching, reading and writing in a way that's combined? What is it that makes that difficult? Well, first of all, I think a lot of people don't understand reading instruction, you know, and how it operates. And so when you're looking at the outside and out, you're now an administrator. So, I mean, I'm not really talking about you specifically, but, you know, we've had these conversations where. Go why ahead. Are they Talk reading? about me, Ochoa. <laughs> I'm talking about you. Why are they reading? And uh, you and I've had these conversations as well with uh, another person, you know, with uh, people that we've had to work with and, and administrators might walk in and go, how come every time I go into your reading class, they're reading. Uh, we had this not too long ago. Why are they reading so much? And it's like, well, why are they? And I've said this even on this podcast, why do they do math and math? Why do they do science and science? I mean, 
The only way to get better at reading is to read. It's magical. But then you look at writing and they and the people who don't understand the reading don't realize that writing, the best way to get better at writing is by reading and practicing and imitating what you read. So really, the I think the center point is reading. Okay, I don't, you know, but I, I do think that writing, you have to, you have to practice it as well. And so what happens is people just look at what you teach is English. And that's how it's presented. When you ever talk, when people say, oh, Pam, what is it that you do? I I don't say I'm a reading teacher. I am. But I typically say just out of natural, uh, just a natural statement is I'm an English teacher. So immediately the reading is not put front and center and yet front and center should be the reading. So to me, uh, but the writing takes a lot of time to teach. It's difficult to do. It's probably the most vulnerable a student or a person is when you ask them to write their thoughts down because your thoughts aren't visible to anybody else until you say them or write them down. The thing about writing them down is they can be reread and reread and reread. And so the the pressure about writing, I think, is way greater. And so, uh, but at least when they're writing, people who come in like administrators can actually see them physically doing something and reading just looks like they're staring at a book. They they don't understand that it takes some skill and time to actually be a kid watcher and, and know if they're reading or not. I look at my kids a lot of times and I'll say, Hey, listen, Buster, I know you're reading. I know you're not reading because I know what reading looks like. And that's not it. This is what reading looks like. And I let them know what it does look like and what I'm looking for. And so that way, if they are pretending, at least I give them a leg up on it. <laughs> I don't know what it should look like. But I think, I think because it's misunderstood by the, by many people, including English and reading teachers, sometimes it's misunderstood. Uh, and so as a result of that, I think people, um, they they just don't see how they're they're meshed together. I don't know what else to say. I don't want to be more lost than I already am. <laughs> no, I get it. Well, and while you were saying that, I was thinking of I I think uh-huh. that's a good perspective on the reading side too. I think on the writing side, why it's so complex, and I I feel like this is understated. And I think you and I mm-hmm. do a healthy job of focusing on the writing. Um, I think there's no joke that the reading side definitely has more eyes on it. People are definitely looking for more ways to teach reading than they are to teach writing, right? Writing is is kind of secondary to everything. And it's kind of my, my passion is to make that not so. Um, I think there's corners that really care about writing, but just, I mean, even in the market of educational books and professional development, reading always does more. When I look at my, mm-hmm. when we look at our episodes of Craft and Draft, almost our, our reading episodes do generally better on Teach Me Teacher. My reading episodes generally do better, almost always actually on Teach Me Teacher. The reading focused episodes do better than every other episode I do on that podcast. And so um, that's really telling in a lot of ways. Um, it's kind of sad because I think writing is such an interesting door to go into. And I think we do it. We don't focus on it in the right ways. And this is my point, which is. There's writing to respond, answer, 
to kind of think through a prompt or something. But then there's writing to create. There's writing as expression. And it's that other side that kind of when I when I think of writing instruction in schools, it is very heavily focused on, especially here in Texas with the new star on response. It's reading response and it's responding to something that is put in front of you, but to prove that you can think about something, which is a hundred percent valid. I I don't want anyone to construe what I'm saying as saying that isn't a valid use of writing or worthy of teaching kids to do. I think it's awesome. I'm just saying there, there is the, the pie chart is very heavily on that side and very much less on just creating expression, really giving kids the tools and talking about, you know, if you're a writer and you want to do something, what does that look like from scratch? What does that look like when you just have an idea and you want to run with it, whether that be a poem, an article, a story, um, a memoir, whatever. And so when we talk about writing, there's, there's really two kinds of writing and a lot of what curriculum is pushing for is really one side. But I think we make a lot of gains with students. And honestly, I think we hit a lot of standards in writing when we focus on the creation aspect. Um, and I kind of give an example so you can, and this might help us kind of veer into Alicia's direct question and maybe even help Alicia kind of think through this if she hasn't already or anyone else who's listening to this, which is, you know, when we're, when you're looking at a lesson, um, it's really easy to kind of get lost in the nuances of every standard. Of course, you want to hit the verbiage of the standard to make sure that kids are doing tasks that are in line with the actual standard. But there's also a lot of tasks and lessons and pieces that we might look at or ideas or concepts that we're working with that tackle a bunch of standards at once, right? They're like the hidden standards. And so what I mean by that is you might have the goal of today might be to respond to a writing piece about how the setting affects the plot or how the conflict is resolved or something like that. When you're doing that, you're talking about inferencing. You're talking about your knowledge of genre. You're talking about uh, your knowledge of characterization, of what conflict is, how conflicts are resolved. You're talking about knowledge of really of author's craft and purpose all merged into how does the setting affect the plot, right? And so I think when we're diving into this conversation and when we're thinking about this in our classrooms, we have to go, okay, so I'm teaching this. So what what are all the things that are going into this, right? And I think to me as a teacher, that always, that eased my anxiety about hitting every single standard because I was like, well, if I'm having them write something, then how many things are going into that already? It doesn't have to be so individualized. Mm -hmm. And that made me feel like I needed less... I needed less of reading and writing lessons total. It was more of a, how does, how can I craft lessons that incorporate all of that maybe indirectly? And I just have to be mindful as the educator to kind of tie those in. I don't know. Do you, do you see it that way? Yeah. I mean, I, I like to, um, when I create a lesson, for example, um, figurative language, let's just use that one. Cause that one right now is the one that my, my particular students, 
my um, lower students, they, they're really struggling with that because it's so abstract. And so, um, so when I'm doing figurative language, we will be reading it like I might give them a piece. And then one of the things that I would have them do is highlight all the figurative language that they could. And then I would have them go back into something that they're writing and they need to find a place where they could add uh, a comparison or a metaphor or a simile or or could they go back into something that they're writing in a poem and personify it? And so those are some things that I have them do. So so my writing actually becomes an extension of my reading lesson. Does that make sense? And so in reading, we would be reading several different ways or different types of, of pieces that use a figurative language. Now, figurative language is typically in poetry and in um narrative but but it's also used in in informational text so i would find other texts where it might because when they're well written it's the it's the voice that that author or that narrator uses and so a lot of times they have to compare something it might not be as flowery if you will uh but it's still maybe imagery, if not anything. Uh, so you can look at figurative language and imagery. Where is the author actually trying to paint a picture for the reader? And are they doing it in, like when they're illustrating or highlighting in informational text? You know, are they doing that? And so I use a lot of questions where I would put that in front of the students and then they have to identify it, analyze it, and then they try to imitate it. And so I do a lot of imitating and then they go that's what that left side is for in their draft book for me and then they go back in there and if they if they like what they've written then they incorporate it in their final copy or their their final drafts until we in in the revision section when we're revising you know this might be uh hot button question about to throw at you. So I hope you I hope that coffee you're drinking right now is is fueling your brain cuz I have a I have, okay. I, and this is just something that, and honestly, I, I think if you asked me this question I'm about to ask you <laughs> on any day, I think my opinion might change just depending on my mood or maybe concepts. So I don't even think there's necessarily a fully right answer, but I, you'll, you'll know why I figure it's a hot topic question in a second, which is, you know, so do you think that every, Every maybe that's too big of a, a broad word. Do you think that the majority of reading and writing standards or skills, if we don't want to even use the standards as the baseline, have to be explicitly taught individually? Do do you does that? I'm sorry, no. Did that question make sense to you? Yeah, but okay. no, they don't. So, do you think that? When we get bogged down, I say we is just just educators. When mm -hmm. we get bogged down in, oh my God, how do I fit it all in? Do you think it's because we're we're parsing out the skills of what it means to be a reader and writer too much? Um, uh, maybe I don't know. I I think I think we're under a pressure to write lesson plans that show our standards and they want us to be and and a lot of times our scope and sequence is written in such a way that you have to do this first, do this second, do this third, do this last and to be real honest, 
I see this a lot of times in grammar. Uh, the way I've not found in all the years that I've taught once that the grammar makes sense to me in the way that they presented in the curriculum. So there's a certain way that I think grammar should be taught. Nobody agrees with me. At least I don't think they do. And uh, those who write curriculum don't seem to agree with me. So I have to take those, those particular ones and I put them in the order that I need to. But I think what happens is they say, well, you have to teach prepositions first. And I'm just using grammar because those are isolated and easy sure. to do. But um, I don't teach personally prepositions first. I teach verbs first. I teach sentence parts. No matter how old they get, I, I even even when I teach adults, and you know this because I've you've been in my classes, and that is if they if they ask, I you know I start with the verb. Even when we did that ratiocination, we started with maybe the sentence starters, but then we went right to the verb. And we spend a lot of time on the verb. And so I do that because I feel like if they don't understand the verb, then they're not going to get it. Well, in my curriculum, we're doing nouns. We're doing prepositional phrases. We're doing all these other things. And then we're doing compound complex sentences. And then after that, they add the verb somewhere down the road. And the thing is, how do you even know how to determine where a sentence is if you don't even know where the verb is? And if you don't know which part's the subject and what part, which part's the predicate. So I think what's happened is we have this pressure to follow the scope and sequence to the point that we have to do. It makes us do one standard at a time. It makes us think that we have to do each standard individually whether, rather than let's find something and let's incorporate that um, throughout you know the entire piece that we're reading. And teach it within the context. So like the other day, speaking of prepositional phrases, I did my, and we talked about this about two years ago, and that was my red wheelbarrow. And I think I even mentioned it again. I love, you know, I got that all up Nancy Atwell because she likes to use it, but I really get a lot of bang for my buck with that one. But this time, what came up is a pawn. He puts a pawn, which is a preposition all by itself and puts the rest of the phrase on another line. Why did he separate the prepositional phrase? And with my honors classes, I asked, and in my on level, I asked that question. So, but the thing is, is, is if I just said, Oh, I'm sorry, we can't talk about prepositions because that's not, that's not on my scope and sequence right now. Well, I would have missed out on a golden opportunity for those students to really understand preposition and why that one is, is important. And how, in this case, I guarantee you, not all of my kids, but a large majority of my students now understand that prepositions are about relationships between two items, where one thing is in relation to another. And that's what he was focusing on, is the relationship between the wheelbarrow and everything else. So much depends. And then upon, well, what all depends upon. And so I was able to teach that. And yeah, my that wasn't really my lesson that day as far as like, but I take those moments and that's what I do. I don't wait and go, oh, I can't talk about prepositions right now. I just blend it. I blend all of those things inside that one standard. And my standard that day was symbolism. That was the main standard I had to hit. So I don't know if that answers any questions, but that's kind of what I think about why we isolate and have feel like we have to teach one standard at a time. And I think it's a misnomer. I think it's, I think you have to teach within the context. 
Yeah. Well, and I, th- I truthfully, 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 I, I think when, you know, there's times to really do standard by standard, I suppose, but you know, getting kids to enjoy reading and writing is, is such a, a major aspect. You know, we've, you know, the, the rightfully empowered kids, as I call them these days, they, you know, they still, you know, they'll email, and they'll talk they'll like, they'll share pieces that they're doing. I had a, a kid who, um, she's not even in, uh, she didn't even go to that high school. She went to a different high school. Um, and she was writing, she wrote two poems and, uh, she messaged me and was like, Hey, can you give me your feedback on these? And they're incredible and they're mm-hmm. awesome. And it's so cool to see that these young people, because, they had so much freedom in my class to really just hone their voices and, and realize like what they like to write and, and how they like to write. They, they're still being able to do that in high school. And, you know, of course high school has their own standards. And so you're trying, they're, they're, you know, having to write essays and stuff like that, but they're, they're, they're soaring because they've had so much experience with working with words and the, the more, wide you can make lessons and the more freedom that kids can have i think that's what naturally develops and so for someone like alicia who might be just frustrated with trying to get everything in you know it's also a time to go okay so what is my goal here right i know the district's goal i know curriculum's goal and i know just the goal of teaching is to move kids but what is my big goal as an English teacher? And for me, that answer has always been, I want to get them to have a better relationship with reading and writing than before they came into my classroom. And if you do that, uh, you're, you're, you're setting your kids on a path that is infinitely more positive uh, than if they never had that. Now, with all of that said, when we're looking at just the nuances of teaching everything, I want to talk about, so I had, I've done it both ways. It truth be told, I'm pretty sure you've done it both ways, sideways and every way in between, just because you've had so many different, uh, situations. But for me, my, I, I had, when I really first started doing workshop, I had two separate classes. So I had a reading class, kids mm-hmm. left and then they came back and I had a writing class. So I saw the kids the same, but it was different little groups. And because of that, I did two lessons. Legit. We did too many lessons a day. Um, but I use the same piece in both. And so if I was do- talking about compound sentences, I made sure to read an excerpt or a piece or whatever that had those in there. And so at first we read it as a reader in reading class then when they came back, we read it as a writer. And so we used the same piece to do that. Now that was with two lessons, but that fit the structure. And so when we stopped doing that in our district and we combined it, I toyed with the idea of doing two lessons, but ultimately I decided to land on one just because I didn't, I didn't like the, all right, here's my reading lesson. Now let's read for a little bit. And now let's come back together and do writing. I just kind of wanted to just transition directly over there. And so what eventually I started doing, and this was really the last three years of me teaching, which was my, I just decided what was my focus for that, that lesson. So I would, if it was a reading standard, like inferencing or something, 
Um, that didn't mean I didn't talk about the writing. It just meant what we did was my ultimate focus was I need them to be able to infer this specific thing, whether it was an article, a poem, a story, whatever we're doing. That's my ultimate goal. As long as I get there, I'm good. But on the way there, so in my lesson plans, I would literally kind of draw out all of the little nuances we could hit on. I'm like, oh, there's figurative language here. Oh, there's a compound sentence here. Oh, this is a really interesting use of a of an mm-hmm. M dash or a semicolon or something like that. And I would kind of draw that all out on my uh, iPad or on a piece of paper or just kind of type it out depending on the lesson or my mood really. And once I did that, (laughs) (laughs) Bam's over there watching videos. (laughs) Not watching videos. That just, I didn't know that was even, I don't even know what that was. That's awesome. I opened it up just to see. So I apologize. Sorry, everybody. It's my fault. Just for the Patreon listeners. We, uh, that's funny. (laughs) Threw me off. So I would draw that out though. And so I, and so when we went to the lesson, my students, I trained them to go, okay, so we're going to read this as a reader first. So as a reader, what are we getting from this, right? When we go through that process. And then I would go, so how did they do that? Let's look at this as a writer. How did... Still doing it. Oh, my God, Ochoa. <laughs> Let me get this video off here. Stop for a second. You've got to get rid of this. I was watching the weather earlier, and I, it's now starting to pop up. I don't know why, but it's on my front of my thing, and oh, I can't get it off. Oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is what I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it was up. It's just one that I was watching in the middle of it, and then, you know, the weather. It's supposed to get cold, you know. So I know. You're, to... You've been very concerned about the cold I'm weather. very concerned. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. I apologize. Oh, my God. Anyway, I would draw this stuff out. And so when I would sit with students and we would go through these lessons, my... It's just not going off. Just put down... I gotta get rid of my phone. Put down the phone. (laughs) I'm gonna throw it over here. Maybe it won't, even if it comes back on. There. It's away. It's not anywhere near my desk. All right, go ahead. I quit. (laughs) This is the end. No, it's not. You're gonna have to just you're just gonna have to cut that out. We'll see. I'm keeping it all in so they know what you're doing on the podcast. Oh, it wasn't it was just my phone was up. Sorry. Anyway. So trying to get rid of it. Oh my god. So I would with that once I have all of that outlined, when we're going through the lesson and we're reading it as readers. We go through that whole process. And so I have all of that kind of pre-planned, but also let the conversation go where it needs to go. But then I know the writing pieces that I want to hit on. And now this, once again, and I can't stress this enough, when you're working in a workshop format, especially at this point in the year, you know your writers, you see their writing, you see what they're struggling with, you know where you need to go on the curriculum, but more importantly, you know what your kids need. They're messing up on certain things. They haven't mastered certain mechanics. So I would try to incorporate that into all of it. And when we're having those conversations, it would just kind of be fly by. Like I w- it was, some of it would be freestyle during the lesson, but some of it would be like, hey, did y'all notice this sentence? Like this is a really interesting sentence. And if I plan it really well, whatever I'm pointing out is something that they're struggling with that they need us to kind of capture on. So I can get a grammar lesson in there incorporated with everything else that's going on. And ultimately do my goal, which is whatever standard is for that day and kind of make sure that they can get that. 
that is how I started mixing all of this in. Now, is every day that perfect? Absolutely not, right? Some things just don't lend themselves to that multiple lens uh, necessarily, that exact to what we need. But in every piece you show, you can always point out author's craft. You can always point out uh, grammar. You can always point out mechanics of writing within anything, because how couldn't you, right? It's writing. It, there's, it's already there. But the better you get at kind of mixing that, the stronger these lessons become. And so by the end of a 15, 25 minute lesson, kids have read a piece, they have discussed it as a reader, they've gone through it, they've answered questions, and then they've dissected it and hopefully taken something mm -hmm. away that they can incorporate into their writing. And that that is a powerful recipe. And so for Alicia and anyone else, my challenge is find like do that just experiment with it find one piece pick something pick pick something that you really like right like for you it'd be the red wheelbarrow or anything like that right i mean it would be any piece that you just really love and mm -hmm. and dive into it and really just write out all the different things that you could point out all the different things that doesn't mean you have to do all of that but just having that mapped out it really helped me and i think it can help other people go Oh, I could really take this in a lot of ways um, and then put it in front of kids and see what happens and then just tweak as you go. And maybe like, man, that really failed. We didn't go down any of those rabbit holes that I kind of planned or maybe you did. But I don't know. That's how I kind of think about that combo. How do you go about it? The combo of using all, just when just, you're saying that just blending it into, you know, reading and writing into a single lesson rather than two. Yeah. Well, I was I was thinking I, I want to go back to reading for a second and then maybe this might where it's just reading. And I was looking at Alicia's just reading her question again as she's talking about fiction and then how do you teach informational? What I would like to do there is I would use my informational as background um, text for my fictional reading, and then I would have them research or whatever write about whatever they want but then they would find the informational in their research and what i mean by that i know that's kind of weird at first but listen if i was if i was uh i don't know give me give me give me something that's just kind of a i don't know fictional piece i don't know do you have one that we've read that i know about uh, My brain's gone dead on it. A fictional piece. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot. Right? So you don't know. See, I pitched. See, you, yeah, you need you to drink me. some coffee. No, I'm trying to think about. Uh, <laughs> there's actually a piece. Let's do. Let's let's do a callback to one of our earliest episodes, the Scarlet Ibis. Oh, okay. All right. So the Scarlet Ibis, perfect. All right. So in the Scarlet Ibis, you know, that's really a, it's about relationships. It's about stretching, going out too far. This boy who's been, he was, he was born right. And he had a brother that was, that was uh, born with some issues. Yeah. Correct. And then he wanted, he wanted a real brother, a brother that didn't have issues. And so he pushed his brother too far and, mm -hmm. The thing is, is they found a scarlet ibis. And the thing about a scarlet ibis is they have a certain area that they can live in. But if they get pushed too far, they get too stressed. And of course, that's what happened with the scarlet ibis. So 
the symbolism there is that this this boy is a scarlet ibis and sometimes you may want something so bad that you injure those that you love and you can't go back when you make those decisions and change it and so you need to be thinking ahead i mean that could be one way this is just me off the top of my head on that particular story but anyway so now here's the thing what do the students don't know they don't know what a scarlet eye business so you can turn around and find fiction uh, non-fictional pieces about a scarlet ibis before you ever even read the scarlet ibis for example so you could go and find um where they live what are they uh you could look up maybe what was wrong with the boy you know you could you could find some background information you can see uh look at the setting and read informational piece about that setting in other words you can find articles that was in the carolinas you know where what what's the carolinas what do they look like you could have them look at maps and things like that and so those are all informational text and those could be a part of your read aloud your read aloud could you know whether you don't have to make it a big ordeal your read aloud could be that informational text is going to set them up to better understand the background of their fictional reading piece which in this case would have been the scarlet ibis so i might look up the setting i might look up uh, storms that happen in these types of settings i might look up um uh, you know what is a scarlet ibis and where do they live and do they have a migratory route and what are their vulnerabilities? I might just look up some of that. And I might not even, I mean, if they're fifth graders, I might not look too much up, but just enough to give them some background information. And then we would read the story. And then the story is where I would actually teach a lot of those reading strategies, reading skills, let the kids do choral reading, non-choral reading, those types of things. And, um, but then now it's time to write. And when they write, uh, they find maybe a topic of their own. And that topic could be a time when you, you know, they could even think about, you know, a response, just a natural response to what they what they read about. You could do it that way. Or you could actually give them a line from either their fictional piece or their non-fictional piece. You could give them something there. Or they can get a topic and they could write about it and then maybe make a story out of it. So they could do several things just with this one um activity does that make sense this one fictional piece so everything would be wrapped around that fictional piece mm -hmm. i don't know what, what's your thought there i don't know if that's going after what you were saying but that was where my mind was going um but i would that that's what i did like the other day uh as i told you we did you know oh by the way i finished the outsiders <laughs> how many months did that take uh, about three. Oh anyway, my God, so I would die. The kids loved it. I'm sure. And they did. guess what? Let me tell you how I know they loved it. They go, and I had my on level and somebody in my honors. Maybe not every child loved it, but now they all love the story. But the thing is, is they they uh, they said, "Are we going to do another book like that for next semester?" That is what I was asked. I just want that out there for the record. But anyway. We had to do the Triangle Factory Fire, which is a nonfiction piece. Or now, actually, was it? Yeah, it's a nonfiction piece. So the Triangle Factory Fire. Well, there's a fire in the uh, Outsiders, right? Okay. So I took that Triangle Factory Fire, and I I read it about the time we got to the fact the fire in the church, and we talked about why 
because this because you know how you you work with teams and so you have to kind of go along with what your team wanted to do and this is what they wanted to do so i i took what they wanted to do which was this triangle factory fire and they wanted to work on a particular some some set, some of the standards and things like that for for reading but what i did is i thought well but i'm i'm also doing the outsiders and i didn't want it to seem like it was just i'm jumping back and forth and doing whatever so i was always trying to find a tie into these informational pieces that we're doing does it make sense and so uh so what we did is we looked at cause, uh, at the same time uh, the writing that we were supposed to be doing was informational Okay. And so my partners wanted to give them a prompt and their prompt, because my one person that I work with is right now, not really a workshop teacher. She's brand new and she's not quite got her head wrapped around it. And so she just wanted to give them a prompt and the prompt was about fire safety. And I'm like, okay, so I had tied, I had promised that I would work with them and do what they wanted. So I had, so with fire safety, well, sure enough, that happened in the outsiders. The outsiders is the fiction piece. The informational piece was a time when fire safety became a real issue. And the thing about the Triangle Factory Fire, when you start researching it, it's the actual incident that causes us to have fire regulations today that we didn't have it was the one thing that caused that to be nationwide so when you look at that we're like well I combined it with those two pieces and the kids were going oh okay so is that why you know and I did it on a day two that we had a fire drill oh yeah yeah so all of that combined it was but it did work out actually the fire drill i think that was just that just happened but it just happened to be on that particular day and that was weird but the whole thing is it was on their mind right so we had the experience with working on the drills all of that and then the fact that these boys went back in what could they have done different that would have made this hope and 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 their decision this uh, these characters decisions to leave their cigarettes there and probably burn the church down right and then to go back in, what were their decisions? And if they if if they would have had the fire safety uh, regulations and had followed them, how would the book change? And so that's kind of what we did. But but I took I combined my fiction and my nonfiction piece, and then they had to write from that. Um, how you know they just wrote a response and so some of them what well, when was the time where where safety was something important to you and so that's just kind of what they wrote and they got to choose their own pieces but we but in the end my informational piece was that my kids had to write was anything of their own topic because I always do that that's what I always do so I don't know but that's 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 how I combine everything together I don't know if I'm helping. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's kind of a, you know, anytime we're answering very specific questions, like there's so many things in there. So I think, I think we do best when we really just give a bunch of options for people to kind of just think through, you know how it is. Cause you, right. You know, when you're thinking through your own issues, sometimes it's just good to just talk about ideas because sometimes hearing ideas that don't work, help you hone what you mm-hmm. want to do. So hopefully that's what's happening with Alicia. So, so, so I have a question then. Were you saying that my idea did not work? Is that what? No, I'm saying if it didn't, that would be the ideal case. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. Just out there. 
but <laughs> I mean, truthfully, out there. and here's the thing. Alicia is already, you know, I, I feel like she's leaning into what we advocate to for a lot, which is awesome, which mm-hmm. is, you know, she's. It, she's wanting to really get the most bang for her book. She wants her kids to read a lot. She wants them to write a lot. She's really honing in on some of the harder to reach standards, right? It's mm-hmm. really easy to conceptualize some of this stuff through fiction, but it's it's a lot more difficult for nonfiction or some of those other tasks. And we know kids struggle with nonfiction the most. We know they struggle with the genres that they don't encounter all the time. In the genres that they don't always want to independently read, right? And so that's where it becomes like, like for her read alouds, I know she's talking about how they're wasted time. I'd be interested on a follow up, Alicia. Go ahead. Uh, uh, why you feel like those are wasted time. Now I'll say just straight up. I've never really been a read aloud person. I think they're valuable. I, I know. I know Ochoa, so she can speak to that in a minute. Um, and I know a lot of educators who really do love them. Um, I never really cared for them. I treated my mini lesson as the read aloud because I would often read them aloud or we would watch slam poetry videos or uh, get something like that out of it. And that that's how I kind of got that. I do. Now, we've our partner who we've mentioned a, th- a million times on the podcast, you know, she has definitely done tons of times where she just has a book that she's reading aloud and uh, uses that as a little bit of an anchor text for a whole class. And they also have their mini lesson and they also have their independent reading. Um, And so that becomes difficult for that nonfiction side. I know Ochoa has had a lot of success with some nonfiction picture books, which totally exist that I don't think they're talked about as much, but they definitely are really interesting. I know Ochoa can probably name a few that she really likes, but in terms of that, getting all of the kind of other standards in there, you know, I think just finding stuff that really does that. Like I, we've said this before, like great nonfiction. I think we said it on the last episode that just got published, but great nonfiction has great narrative, right? Like there's very few really interesting nonfiction pieces that don't have some type of narrative drive to it doesn't have to be a story but something that really connects it like i mean even news ela or newsella has like most of those articles have some type of narrative underneath the facts that they're trying to give right it focuses on a kid it focuses on a family focuses on a country whatever and so i think incorporating those in there uh, helps kids realize that writing is writing story is story. Now the, we read different genres for different purposes and we read them differently. I read Epic fantasy entirely different than I would a popcorn fiction novel that is just meant to be read in a few days. Like Epic fantasy, like uh, books that I really enjoy on the Epic fantasy, like they take me like a month or two to really go through. Cause I read them slow. I want to be in the world. I want to do that. But if I read like, uh, the devil in the blue dress, for instance, which is like one of my favorite, uh, like, uh, cop crime novels. It's absolutely amazing. Um, that if I read that novel, I'm reading it entirely differently. I read it in like two days. It's very fast. It's very plot driven. Um, and so I think just teaching kids that is that, you know, Hey, this has story too, but we're just, when we're reading this, we're, we're, we have to be as readers. If we're reading an article, 
we have to really think about, you know, is this true? What, why would they be saying it this way? And I think that's interesting to kids. I think they, kids know this stuff in their own worlds. They know that, well, (laughs) it depends on your age group, but a lot of kids know that like the, the streamers they watch in video games, for instance, that, you know, the headsets they wear is paid advertisement, right? The, the, the advertisements that are in, you know, TikTok videos, a lot of kids are really savvy about that. And so they realize, Oh yeah, I might like this video, but this person's clearly advertising the makeup that they're, they're using in the video or something like that. Right. And so I think it's interesting to kids to show them that it's like, why would they word the title like this? Like, why would the article have this title? What are they trying to do to you? What are they trying to make you think, believe, feel? And I think if you play with that idea, but also hone that with fiction, right? Why would the author word this? Why would the author put this emotional scene at this point, right? Why is the burning of the church such a specific event in the outsiders with the character arc and everything? Merging that with why would an, would an author of an article put a tragic event at this point in an article? I think those are equal skills just for different purposes. And so for Alicia, who's really trying to merge these things, I think it's really just about making those connections that all really great readers do, but teaching kids that it's all manipulation, right? It really is. I mean, writers are manipulators. Mm-hmm. You're trying to capture your audience and get them to feel something. Now, there's nefarious reasons. There's good reasons. There's positive reasons. There's indifferent reasons. But everyone has a purpose. And I think setting up lessons that way and teaching kids that this is not genre specific, uh, that all writers are trying to do this, I think it not only helps them be better readers in the long run, but truthfully, I think it really helps them think about writing in their own lives in a different way. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I'm only saying that because I don't know. I, I, uh, with what you're saying is that's how I would use my read aloud. In other words, when I get to those points, I'll be reading my nonfiction piece. Right, right. Okay. And then I'll go, Oh, look, the student, the, the author here just now it's highlighting. I wonder why this is so important. And then uh, I bet, I bet we'll find out later. And then I go, Oh yeah, look, here it is. This is why it's important because it connects to this. These two things are connected. And then I read on a little bit more and I might say something like, why did the author, you know, do uh, include this paragraph here? What is the purpose of this paragraph? Let me see if I can figure out how does it tie to the thing to the thesis statement. Oh, this is a transitional paragraph. That's what they're doing. They're moving from one idea to the next because they're comparing two things. And so that's how I do my my read alouds. And and I would stop and maybe even ask the, the kids the question, but in a true read aloud, I'm literally doing the thinking out loud that I would be doing as you making those connections you're talking about. That's what I do in my read aloud is I make those connections. I might not read the whole piece, but I'll read a piece of it. And then I'll say, okay, I want you to partner up. And then y'all read the rest. Partner A, read this part. Partner B, read this part. And I want you to go through and find out and highlight what you have noticed about what the author is doing and why the author is doing it. And then on the side, write down why you think the author is doing those things. 
Why did the author allude to another article? Why is that article important? Where did the author um, point to an expert? So a lot of times I will do a lesson on what are all the elements of nonfiction? And then when I do my read aloud, I point those out during my read aloud, the elements. And so I wonder why this picture is so important. Why did the author use this picture and not something else? What is this statistic telling me about this whole piece and how does it tie back to the thesis statement? I wonder how the how the author ended this piece. You know, most writers, they tie back to the thesis. They restate it. Let's see if this author restates it. Let's look as I read on. And then we go back through. So I might read the whole piece and then I might come back and do that the second time around. I always stress my to my students that we read pieces more than once. The first time to read it just so that we understand it. The second time we analyze it. And then I, I model that for them. And uh, at the, well, I might model it all the way through the first time. And then after that, I might model a piece of it, whatever I'm focusing on. Uh, I'll do that. So, um, so it goes with what you're saying. And I agree with that. But that's also how I do my read aloud is whatever you're pointing out. I actually model that as me as a reader. And I said, what I want you to do is listen to me today. And I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking about while I'm reading. So I'm going to pause. It's going to be a little different. But that's what we're going to do. And if you catch anything that you think I should have thought about it, I want you to let me know, you know, raise your hand if there's something you have a question about. I might do it that way. I change it up a little bit, but I do read aloud, um, especially at the beginning of the year, quite a bit, or when we're doing something new, a new genre, uh, I might do it at least once. I definitely do it with poetry. I always do it with poetry. And I'll teach them, this is how you should read poetry. And then like you do, I show them other people reading it. And then we say, why did, how did that author read it? How would you have read it? You know, did, do you pay attention to the punctuation? Why did this author not include any punctuation? What's the purpose in that? My students in the Red Wheelbarrow uh, determined that the reason there's no no capitalization and no punctuation is because this is my honors kids. They determined that uh, it's a cycle. And so much depends on this and it just repeats itself over and over and over. There's never a beginning or an end. So therefore there's no capitalization and there's no punctuation. I've got some pretty good smart kids this year, I but know. that's what they did. You know, it's I really do just on a, on a totally separate kind of subject i uh mm -hmm. i one of the, my favorite things right now as an ap is jumping into different levels of classes i love like i love going into freshman classes i i feel like i connect to the freshman really well because they're they're mm -hmm. like the kids that i taught right it's the it's the same age group you know what i mean and so i really understand them um and I love jumping in there and I love sitting at their tables because they're, they're, they're really, they're becoming more sophisticated in their thinking. But then I absolutely love going into AP classes, you know, especially at the senior level. And those mm -hmm. kids are doing college level analysis of like, they're about to start 1984. And I told the teacher, I was oh like, put it on my calendar please because i will not i will forget there's something else going on but going in there and analyzing on all of these different levels it is so fun and this will probably go into uh our question that we're going to answer for Alyssa when we talk about kind of the what does it look like for an increasing of complexity over a long period of time what does that look like for a program but mm -hmm. or us or curriculum even but that 
that that feel that what I get to do, you know, when I have the time, I don't always have the time, but um, when I do get to really jump in, it is so cool to see just the increased complexity and and really see the sophistication of, you know, the difference between, you know, 14, 15 year olds to 17, 18 year olds and their analysis mm-hmm. of literature uh, with with great teachers. It is so so cool. And I think that's kind of where, you know, ultimately this is probably a nice little, at least my capstone to this conversation, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I think we, we worry a lot about the growth that kids have under us. And I think that's admirable. Really. I think it's, I think all passionate teachers really care deeply about moving kids in the right direction and, and being a, a positive growth percentage you know for that we are Mm -hmm. affecting them and in specific ways in our classrooms that we can measure um but ultimately i think it's also it's time like you have the kids you have they you cannot get them into levels that they're not ready for it's it's all building blocks and doesn't mean it's it's completely narrow I've, i've always said kids don't grow in reading and writing on a on a, a narrow continuum, there's a bunch of different ways that kids kind of adapt and, and develop in those things. However, or uh, with that, it's we we are responsible for really enriching the lives of kids. So if that's what your lessons are doing, then keep going, like just have confidence in the process. Um, and I know that's easier said than done because there's so much pressure on what we have to do in the classroom. But I think if you focus on that, a lot of what we have to do is taken care of. If you get your kids to love reading and writing, um, the the more the nuances of teaching and everything, I think that's less or the specifics, right? The semantics of everything. I think those are less valid if you get your kids to love reading and writing because they're, they grow at their pace and it, it, it gives you a momentum to play on. And I think we see that. I think we see that in uh, really strong groups of kids, right? When you have a really strong group, that momentum happens naturally because they're already readers and writers, sort of, right? They already have the skill set, so the momentum goes. And it's hard to create the momentum with kids who might be struggling or kids that have big gaps, which we've also faced. But once you get that going and focus solely on that, I think a lot of this really just kind of takes a backseat. Not that it's not important important not that we should be focusing on the standards and intricacies i think pam and i have uh stated what we believe about that it ad nauseum on this show both bonus episodes and on the free feeds but truthfully getting kids to love reading and writing is 80 percent of the battle getting that momentum going and then it's all about honing from there. So, you know, for people who are feeling like Alicia, who are, you know, they feel like there's wasted time. They feel like they're being pulled in a bunch of different directions. They feel like they they don't know where to focus their time. You know, it's really about are my kids reading and writing? Yes. OK, so let's let's figure out creative ways to kind of to hone this in for what they need. And, you know, I think you're set. I'm sure Alicia is, you know, someone who joins us on Patreon and, and listens to craft and draft. And, you know, it's such an inside baseball podcast that, uh, you know, I'm sure she's, she's already moving kids in the right direction. So, mm-hmm. um, nothing but positive stuff to say for her. And I'm sure it's awesome, but that, that's my capstone. What's, what's yours, Mr. Choa? 
Well, um, I, I just wouldn't beat myself up if I don't get two lessons in. I would just get my lesson in and I would I would really connect and teach within the context and then go back in. And like you said earlier, just kind of see how many different just list. This is the lesson that I did. Right. This is the reading and the writing that we did today. And then over here in your dialectical form right next to it list every standard that you your kids did do that at the end of your day for a while and you can see how many different standards that you've actually done and then your lesson plan put the one that probably is the main focus and i just wouldn't beat myself up over it and i would do my best uh to just bring reading alive for these kids and then show them how to imitate what they read uh you know, try different structures and stuff and see different purposes and see what they can do and let them explore in their own writing and see if they can do some of the same techniques. But uh, keep the joy in it. That's really, to me, where it's at. And that is it for this episode. Our wonderful listeners, special shout out to our newest Patreon supporters, mm-hmm. Jen and Lori. Love to see you here. Hopefully you're enjoying the bonus content and everything else. If you want more bonus content, let us know what you want us to talk about. I know we put out stuff every once in a while for you guys to comment. You guys are absolutely amazing. Um, thank you for supporting the podcast. We know that the, the bonus episodes are for you, the Patreon supporters, and you know, it's the holiday season. So hopefully you're getting some rest, thinking about your workshop and getting excited for our upcoming training over there on January 7th. If you haven't heard, we are going to be jumping in there for another Zoom training. Remember, if you're a listener plus supporter, you get instant access no matter what. And if you are a listener person, you are a listener person, a listener tier supporter, <laughs> you have uh, the discounted price because you guys already support us uh, monetarily there. So uh, if you want to join that, let's go ahead and secure those spots. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be another Zoom hangout with the Q&A at the end. We're going to have the agenda up very soon. But as always, I know that we are here for you.